Hi everybody and welcome to Fast Charge. We are back again with a full team. I am joined this week by Lewis, Toddy and Aniron. Uh, cool, so we're sort of definitely in the lull of the tech news season, but OnePlus jumped into that little gap it saw in the schedule to drop two phones at once. Uh, two phones we luckily kind of knew were coming. Um, the two Nord Lite models, I guess you could call them, the N10 and the N100. Before we get to them, uh, Lewis is going to talk all things iPhone 12. <laughs> he has the iPhone 12. Yeah. Very exciting. He's got the 12 and the 12 Pro. He is ready to basically review the 12 on the show. Um, the 12 Pro, I think he's spent a little bit less time with, but hopefully we'll get some first impressions of that souped up model as well. Oh, yeah. And then finally, we're going to turn to Huawei, uh, which I know we spoke about Huawei a bit recently because of the Mate 40 series launch, but this is different. This is Huawei trade sanction news because there is a dim little light at the end of the tunnel for Huawei right now, it looks like the US might be relaxing its trade sanctions, at least as regards the company's sort of uh, consumer tech division and basically everything that's not 5G networking infrastructure. Uh, they have a deal with Samsung for display shipments, which previously wasn't possible, and that might maybe mean chipsets, maybe Google Ooh. in the future. Ooh. We don't know. We'll find out. Okay, uh, first things first, though, iPhone. Uh, Lewis, you've had the 12 for a week or so now? Yeah, yeah, just about. Um, it's been an exciting week, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been excited. Yeah, I've been, I've been looking forward to the iPhone because as, as everyone who listens to this regularly will know, I am an iPhone user on my, my day-to-day, so I will use the Androids as I go for work, but I'll always go back to my iPhone. Uh, so, yeah, this was the exciting one for me, and it's a big upgrade. You know, even the 12 is a big upgrade from the 11. And unlike previous years where it's been quite easy to recommend the Pro, it's not quite as easy this year. So that's exciting. Uh, so let's start off with the general look of it. Obviously, it's got the iPad Pro-esque kind of square design. It's really nice. It's kind of reminiscent of the iPhone 4 and the iPhone 5 and stuff like that as well. Uh, mm -hmm. That's probably my favorite design. So I'm probably a little bit biased here and saying that it looks amazing and I love it. But it looks amazing <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, with I mean, it's not completely the same. You've got uh, it's, the display kind of goes right to the edge now. There's no kind of little lip like there was with the original iPhone 5, if you remember that. Uh, so that's really, it's nice and flush and flat, very nice. Um, and it feels nice in the hand. The edges aren't quite as angular as I was uh, expecting, which is nice. They, they kind of, they, there's a slight chamfer to them, so it's not kind of, you know, it won't hurt in the palm of your hand which I think some people are going to be worried about with the Pro Max. Not so much the Pro, because that's 6.1 inch, but the Pro Max is a big boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah, the, the the big Pro Max with those angled edges worries me a, a touch, especially because it's so wide. Yeah. You know, you don't have the thin display you get on, on the big Android phones. Yeah. I love uh, the um, the 4 for that very, like, that design aesthetic. But yeah, the, the sharp edges, once we started moving away from that, I really did appreciate the change. So I'm yeah. very mm -hmm. curious to kind of get hands on with these ones and see just how different they feel and whether I mean, it's, it's just it's nice you know you've got better grip i feel like i've got much better grip of this iphone because of the, the the more angular design of it i don't know if that mm -hmm. makes sense but it's how i feel yeah, <laughs> maybe it's just a full sense of security because it's got the ceramic glass and it's kind of a nice metal solid body to it this time around um, yeah so let's talk about the ceramic shield actually so one big part of the uh, upgrade from the iphone 11 to the iphone 12 is the super xdr display 
Uh, that's across the entire iPhone range this time, which uh, because previously it was just on the Pro models, you get the OLED display on the Pro models, uh, Pro models, and then the standard iPhone would get the LCD. Uh, so that's out the window this year, which makes sense considering you can get you know three four hundred pound OLED Androids. Yeah, I'll admit this. I really didn't clock this during the iPhone 12 launch when they kind of said, "Oh, it's all OLED." I was like, "Yeah, of course." Uh, yeah. And I'd completely forgotten that the 11 was not an OLED yeah. because it is wild that the 11 was not. An I OLED. know, I know. Um, so yeah, so that's the big thing for the uh, for people looking for the standard model is that you're not going to get a downgrade in display this year. Which obviously, mm-hmm. as I was saying in previous years, that's a big reason to upgrade. Like you get the OLED display on the Pro models, you wouldn't get it on the standard ones. But yeah, this time you've got it, no matter which phone you go for. And that's the same with the Mini as well. The Mini's going to get the Super XDR, so that's cool. Um, so yeah, uh, part of that is ceramic shield that. Uh, Apple claims is four times more likely to uh, survive a drop. I don't mm. know how you quantify that, but that's the claim. <laughs> uh, and obviously, like... I, I'm not I'm not in the position to be dropping iPhones left and right, so I'm not going to put that to the test uh, un, uh, intentionally anyway. But if I no. drop it at some point, I will let you know. <laughs> There's like an inverse curve between drop resistance and scratch resistance. So yeah. of the two, I yeah. generally speaking would actually prefer, I think, scratch resistance. I feel like if I'm going to drop the phone, it's going to damage mm-hmm. the phone anyway. I must so, admit, yeah. there is already a scratch on the iPhone 12. Yeah, and I've seen this not just from you, but from other people who've already only had oh. the phone like a week. I'm seeing yeah. scratches or, or seeing mention of scratches already. So I'd actually much rather they focus on that for the next generation, I think. Mm-hmm. For me too. I, I've also seen it, it, definitely an unfair comparison, but I've seen photos of store demo oh, units yeah. oh, that yes, are scratched yes. to hell yeah, within just a week. And I know it's a demo unit, it's going to get a lot more manhandled and all of that, but still the level of scratching within just a week seems a bit worrying. Yeah, so I think that uh, a level of that scratching is because it's got the aluminium frame on the standard Pro. So that's painted so when you drop and scratch that you're going to chip away and you're going to see the silver that's underneath it so it's going to show up the scrapes and, uh, and, and stuff a lot worse than you would on the pro model because the pro model mm-hmm. you have the the stainless steel band so when but it chips it'll still be fingerprints more so that as you can yeah. see in, in i don't know if you want to be able to see it right now but there's a lot of fingerprints on this band yeah it's not right. it's not the greatest fingerprints but it's it's Anyway, let's not talk about the 12 Pro just yet. Let's stick with the with the 12. Uh, I mean, yeah, the aluminium's nice. Um, and it also does mean that it's a lot lighter than the 12 Pro. And also, I, I've, I've gone from the 11 Pro Max to the 12, and I could not believe how much lighter the 12 is than the 11 Pro Max. And that's partly because I've just adjusted to that chunk of a phone. But still, mm. it's a lot nicer. Um, and then, of course, the main thing is the cameras on any phone these days and that is a big jump as well particularly in the low light department i don't know what apple's been doing in their camera department in the last kind of year or two but they've gone from being terrible low light cameras to wow yeah. how are you doing that yeah, um that. that's great that's neat. and also so they've expanded it to all of the cameras on the iphone 12 so previously it was just on the main one on the rear but you can do it on the ultra wide and you can do it on the selfie camera as well if you really fancy it nice that's great how well does it work on the other cameras? Because obviously they've got, they're going to have smaller sensors. Yeah. They're not going to be as good at picking up yeah. detail. Does it you still get good results? Uh, so I, I tested this out last night on uh, just walking down my road on the uh, on the twelve. And so on the ultra wide, uh, just a standard ultra wide camera, it, it you couldn't see anything. It was really dark. You know, in, in low light conditions, ultra wide are just terrible because yeah, they're never good. Yep. Uh, so, and turning on the night mode does you know, make a difference. There's a dramatic difference in the amount of light captured and the color and stuff like that. But I will say that it's still soft compared to what you'll get from the main camera. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, it's not a perfect uh, mode, but you know, if you do need the ultra wide shot for whatever reason, you've got the option there. And as I say, as I was saying, it's able to selfie camera, so you can get some nice background shots with you, kind of, you know, at night. But these are all kind of niche things, I think. You know, they're nice to have them when you need them, but it's not going to be a main selling point for yep. many people. Uh, I find it interesting that Apple is one of the first companies to do this because it seems very. Night mode stuff is basically computational. Yeah. So if you can do it on one lens, you can do it on any lens. Yeah. The difference will be how good results are based on the hardware and how much light it lets in, mm-hmm. unless I misunderstand how it all works. Um, so there's not, as far as I can tell, tell any technical reasons Samsung couldn't throw night mode on every single one of their lenses. So I've always assumed the reason they don't and that most brands don't is the results won't be as good and they don't want you to then get bad night mode results on, on the ultra wide and kind of yeah. feel disappointed by it. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense, but it's so funny that of all the companies, it would be Apple that goes against that and says, no, we'll let you have it anyway, because they're normally the company that says, we won't give you this feature unless it's perfect. You know, yeah. We won't let you have night mode until we know it's the best night mode. So it's so funny that they're doing it and accepting you're going to get less good night mode results on I your think... selfies and your wide angles when, when I guess Samsung and Huawei and other people have made the opposite decision and decided the results won't be good enough. I think it's also leaning on deep fusion. Uh, quite a lot. I think it's Deep Fusion, that's what it's called, the technology that was introduced in the Pro range last year. So basically it uses the machine learning capabilities of the, or this year it's the A14 Bionic, to mm. go and and kind of analyze it on a pixel by pixel basis and, you know, improve it within seconds of taking the shot. And I did notice it does, because uh, if you're quick enough, when you first take the photo and you click on the little icon in the corner to preview it, if you're quick enough, you'll be able to see the pre- improved version and then you'll be able to quickly mm. see it snap and, and pop into place uh, once it's been uh, kind of analyzed by the machine learning um and there's a big difference there, and i think that is a big part of of what improves the quality of the ultra wide night vision uh, night mode and the front facing cameras one as well mm. though to be fair they all have something like that yeah. they're all applying some machine learning yeah. to to get those results that's not Apple may or may not be better at it, no. but they're not the only ones doing that. But that's that's, that's say... across all their modes. That's not just night mode. Like every picture that's taken on iPhone, they'll they'll run through that process to enhance it. Yeah. I, oh, sure. But I mean, you won't find a camera in any smartphone now that doesn't oh, use no, machine no, no. learning. Yeah. I, I, for every photo, I can't speak for the Pixel Four A, uh, but I'm pretty sure the Four A Five G and the Pixel Five they both allow uh, and even suggest night mode across any of the sensors and zoom levels you're using. Okay. Um, yeah. So again, I'm not sure if that's on the 4A, but Google's also kind of one of the other few, I think, companies that's happy to push night mode across all its sensors now, including the front one. Yeah. I mean, it's nice out there reading, isn't it? Like, if, yeah. if if you can use it, you might as well. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, it's great that it's getting to the point where we can do it. I st- yeah, just find it interesting that Apple is not is early to that rather than late <laughs> to that. It feels like the space. Uh, it's not the move I would have expected from them. No. I think uh, one of the more interesting things is actually MagSafe for iPhone. I, I'm curious to know about this because I'm such a MagSafe skeptic. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've been very vocal about that. I was, I was, so. I had, a, I have a place in my heart for MagSafe on on the MacBooks. So I was like, okay, if we could bring it back the branding, it needs to be good. And you know, it's pretty good. Uh, obviously, I've only tested the MagSafe charger. I, I haven't got the wallet accessory. I don't have anything like that. I've got a couple mm-hmm. of the MagSafe cases, but they don't do anything. They just pass the charge through the case. How uh, safe is the mag on this MagSafe? Because <laughs> uh, my reservation is if I feel like it's not going to be particularly strong because you don't really want strong no. magnets around phones. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it 
with the MagSafe charger, it's it's about the same resistance as you get from the MagSafe for MacBook. Because uh, I've already okay. had the thing where I picked up the phone, forgot it was attached at the back, and then yanked it. And it's just it's got there's a bit of resistance there, and then it'll pop away, okay, and then cool. it's absolutely mm. fine. Um, but I feel like a lot of the magnetism is is dependent on the accessory and not the iPhone itself. So like docks for cars will would likely have stronger magnets that can hold on for longer than than something that you'll find in a, okay. in a wireless charger. Um, so that's cool, but it's fun. You know, you get the nice little animations that show you it pop up on screen. It's like, oh, you're charging. You, know, you get a nice little ring animation that's similar to that of the Apple Watch. Uh, so that's all fun for for people that invest in in the MagSafe stuff. But mm. is it any more convenient than plugging in your phone? This is what I struggle with compared to the pitch. The key part of the pitch for me, as far as I can tell, is basically two things. One is you can use wireless charging while you're still using the phone, yeah. which you can't with a non-wireless charger. And two, you won't miss the, the central spot and accidentally not charge your phone. I don't know if I'm like preternaturally good at wirelessly charging devices, <laughs> but I never miss the charging spot. Like Wireless charges aren't that big. Phones are that big. The coils are fairly generously sized and the screen will light up when you put it down so you know it's charging because it will give you an animation. So I don't think I've ever missed like charging my phone wirelessly. I think I struggle with um, the mats more than the stands. If it's just flat down. Whoa, what was that? If it's just flat down. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, if it's just flat down, there is a chance, because especially with the bigger phones, because the charging coil might not be where you expect it to be. So you'll put it down. It's kind of the top half's on the mat and not the bottom half, but the bottom half's where the coil is. And I think it's just time trying to get rid of that kind of thing. I just, yeah, again, that's never happened to me. In all the phones I've wirelessly charged, I've always put them down and it's started charging. But I guess other people must have. But um, yeah, and then the other case is you can use it while it's still charging. And it's like, again, that's fine, but it's essentially Apple needs that because it won't put fast speeds in. Yeah, um, essentially. If you, had, if you have fast charging, you don't need that because you just plug it in for 10 minutes and that doesn't have charging anyway. Yeah. And you can find 10 minutes in your day where you don't need to use your phone. And I've been using, sorry, Tony. Uh, it's all right. I've been using Nomad's base station pro recently, which is kind of like Apple's, you know, rumored air power thing that never really came out. It charges mm. up to three devices at once. And anyway, you put them on the mat, it will get charged. Uh, so I've been using that in conjunction with the MagSafe. And I've got to say the wireless charging mat is still way more convenient because I can just pick it up and go. I don't have the extra thing of having to, you know, unmagnetize the, the charger from the back. Exactly. Yeah. Would you say that they spent, you know, they spent the time to engineer a whole new MagSafe standard for iPhones is that a kind of nail in the coffin for USB-C and iPhones? Like, is, yeah. is this the admission that it's just yeah. not happening? It's not going to happen. I think, you know, the, the portless iPhone has been rumored for a few years now. And I think MagSafe is just, you know, the introduction of MagSafe suggests to me that it's coming sooner than we thought. Uh, you know, there was, there was this building, there's building pressure for Apple to go to USB-C, but they're not going to go to USB-C now if they're again going to ditch it in a year or two, because then people will complain because yeah. they're like, we've just bought these USB-C cables and now we can't use them. So instead of, causing that drama they're going to stick it out with the lightning until they're ready to go portless that's that's my opinion anyway and what yeah. power adapter are you plugging the usb-c connection into? <laughs> handily enough i uh you got the 18 watt charging brick uh the usb-c one with the iphone 11 pro range last oh. year so i had that handy but yeah if it wasn't for that i'd be struggling right now because i don't have anything uh that's not apple related with the usb-c so hmm. yeah fun <laughs> uh so we talked about the 12 um yes what about the 12 pro because the big question mark for me and i know a lot of people is i don't see any compelling reason to spend an extra what 200 yeah to get the pro yeah 
it, it, it's so much harder to justify this year, especially if you're not going to get the most out of the pro features that are available. Uh, so one of the, the biggest ones, uh, one of the most obvious, should I say, is the third camera on the rear. Same as last mm-hmm. year, you've got the telephoto as well as the, the ultra wide and the wide that you've got on the 12. Uh, still two times, uh, uh, two times zoom. So yeah, nothing new there really. Uh, I think the exciting thing, yeah, apart from the third camera is LiDAR. Because uh, the Pro models have a LiDAR scanner that was first introduced on the iPad Pro range earlier this year. And that's mm-hmm. used for both uh, fo- uh, for photo and video. So you've got, you know, lightning fast, really accurate um, focus. And I noticed that last night because I took a picture of my cat. I posted on, on Twitter if anyone wants to see. Posted, I took a picture of my cat as he was walking towards me on the, on the iPhone 12 <laughs> Pro. And it was just perfectly... Uh, perfectly in focus and I was like wow okay because I, I you know I've been trying it I've been taking pictures of my cat a week with the iPhone 12 and there's always been a slight kind of blur if he's moving it hasn't quite got it because it hasn't got that lidar uh, mm-hmm. and then of course the more pro stuff <laughs> oh oh <Cute>. hello Alan <laughs> what a name I know great name for a cat <laughs> uh, so yeah the other pro features are basically it's all it basically surrounds the photo and the video particularly video yeah uh, because you've got the option of recording in HDR for one. Uh, Adobe Vision is the more important thing for the pros. Uh, so this is one of the first phones that you can record in Dolby Vision. Uh, so you can record Dolby Vision video, and then you can view and edit that and export it within the Photos app on the iPhone. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's uh, not uh, quite you know to the level of, of a pro video editor, uh, but you've got the option to kind of tweak the the, the look of it on your phone. The big caveat there, of course, we've already seen people complain about is compatibility because HDR, I've been told, is on by default. But then whatever you film in HDR, the big example right now is Instagram Mm -hmm. won't play it right. So if you actually want to put your content on Instagram, for now at least, you've got to turn HDR off. So I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people who buy a 12 Pro, film some video with it, try and put it on Instagram, and it either doesn't go upload or it does, but it's completely blown out yeah. and things like that, which is what people are saying. It's a shame because the HDR video does it really good. I tried it last night and, and mm. you know, you can see, you can tell when you're viewing the HDR content because obviously the Super XDR display is compatible with Dolby Vision content. And you can see the HDR, yeah. you can see that 1200 uh, nits brightness kick in when you're watching the HDR content. Mm. And it looks good. But yeah, it's a similar thing to when they, they pivoted from JPEG to HEIC a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, for a few months, you couldn't even upload pictures to Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that because they didn't know what to do with yeah. this new this new file type. And, and you know, now it's it's not a thing. So yeah. of course, and everyone will catch up because Apple's done yeah. it. Instagram yeah. now has to bake in support for iPhone 12 Pro HDR. Oh, yeah. if, you know, they don't have a choice in it. So it will happen. It's just this kind of weird caveat for the time being that mm-hmm you don't get the full functionality out of it. And I think a lot of people are just going to end up turning it off and maybe never remembering to turn it yeah, back I've on. Yeah, I've turned it off for now because I don't want the option of, you know, I don't not want the option of sharing my stuff. I mean, yeah. what, Do you yeah. know, is, is there an option to export it once you've captured it in a different format or once you've filmed it in, in HDR, no. it's then just the Dolby it's, HDR that the iPhone There's a workaround. You have to put it in iMovie on, on your oh, iPhone and then export oh, no. it from yeah. iMovie. There's no, oh, there's no like quick conversion here. <laughs> So it is a slow, painful process. I um uh, I follow a few like the tech YouTuber people on Twitter, and I think it was Mr. Mobile was saying that he realized all of the video he'd shot on his 12 Pro for his review was in HDR, and he was having to like go and export it minute by minute from iMovie Ooh. on the phone, so he could put it in his video. Yeah, that's rough. And it was just taking him days to export this this content as non HDR. As much yeah. as it's like a case of you know now that Apple's done it. 
platforms like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter will kind of sort out having the compatibility. It, There's yeah. equally, I think, as much responsibility on Apple to maybe add that feature into its its photo video editor in Photos, in yeah. the Photos app, because they have kind of done that before with certain features. I think, like, you can now rotate video in Photos, which you couldn't always mm-hmm. do on an iPhone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took ages to do, to have it as a first-party feature. I feel like this is another one of those examples where it would be really, really smart and very cool of Apple to put that in because i can't imagine it's a, a huge undertaking from their you know army of developers and engineers <laughs> <laughs> but whether they will remains to be seen yeah you think they could be a bit friendlier about it yeah. Yeah. uh so lewis is it worth someone upgrading to the pro if they're torn between these two because they're the same size obviously we've said yeah. you know design wise they're basically the same except aluminium versus stainless steel yeah um same screen and then features wise there we've talked about its camera stuff if someone's on the fence should they or should they not spend that extra 200 i mean if you're even if you're even doubting whether you'll use the pro video stuff don't bother because you won't use it it's only if you know that you're (laughs) going to use it and you're going to get the use out of it because if not you'll stay you know you're better with the the standard 12 you don't get the telephoto Mm -hmm. but you know you can just take a few steps closer to the subject yeah okay (laughs) and now next question um going in the other direction you got the choice between the 12 or the 11, which is now a $200, 200 pound difference. Ooh. Should someone go for the 11 or the 12? Oh, that's good. Do you know what? I, I I think I would go for the 12 purely because of the display upgrade. And the low light mm-hmm. photography improvements are, are quite noticeable as well from the 11. So yeah, I would go for the 12. I think I'd pay the extra. Okay, cool. Good to know. Because that was my kind of takeaway on the night was with a 200 pound gap, the 11 seems to make more sense to me on paper. Yeah. But um, is it OLED is a big deal, so I get 799 that. 799 for the 12 in the UK? Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Um, and the same in the US. Mm-hmm. They've, ma- they've gone back to matching dollar for pound oh, they have, prices. They Makes life so much easier. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, right, okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, cool, okay. So um, that's iPhones out of the way for now. Obviously, there's been a there's a gap between when the next two models, the 12 Mini and the 12 Pro Max, come out. Yeah. So we'll hopefully have them in another couple of weeks. So I'm sure we'll be back and talking iPhone again at some point once <laughs> once someone on the team has My the other two iPhones. <laughs> uh, so we are not done with iPhones yet for the year. Uh, and that's not even getting into the rumored November event where there's going to be yet more Apple product announcements. But uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. (laughs) For now, we have another company that simply refuses to stop announcing phones for the year. Um, OnePlus has unveiled the Nord N10 5G and the Nord N100. Uh, They obviously come after the Nord, which was early this year. And we've also had the 8, the 8 Pro and the 8T from OnePlus. So OnePlus in a few short years has gone from a company that does one phone a year to two phones a year to three (laughs) phones a year. So this is a six phone year for OnePlus which is uh, huge for them. I mean, even last year it was four models and now we're up to six across multiple lines. The kind of cheat there is they may have taken a shortcut with the N10 and the N100. I don't think it's unfair to suggest that on paper, these look a lot like two specific Oppo and Realme phones. (laughs) And it's worth noting, we've said it before, OnePlus is under the umbrella of BBK. BBK also owns Oppo and Realme. <laughs> Funny and, that, isn't uh, it? Yeah, it, it, I, I, so I'm 
the N100. Yeah, I think I've got this right around. The N100 basically looks like the Oppo A53. Yes. And the N10 looks like a Realme... C17. Yeah, which we've not seen because I don't think that one's got in a UK release. No. Uh, but on paper and in design, these look almost identical to these phones. So this is kind of interesting because even the Nord, the Nord was like OnePlus's return to the mid-range, but the Nord was very much a designed by OnePlus phone. It's telling because a big part of how they hyped the Nord was videos and reveals going really in deep on the design process and how they got to the color, how they got to the feel, the finish, everything like that. He talked about that a lot. I think it's quite telling that with the N10 and the N100, they just threw them online and just said, yeah, we've got these ones too. They don't want to talk about how they design these phones because maybe they didn't do that much designing this time around. <laughs> well, considering like they made a whole separate Instagram account for the product range, which was initially just showing the initial, the first Nord phone. Hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we had rumors of a Nord Lite and then, you know, two Nord Lights of varying levels of capabilities. Um, but literally not a peep from OnePlus. Nothing, yeah. not even anything under embargo, really. Um, it was all just, yeah, on the 26th yeah. of October, they were like, here they are. The phones you may have heard about from other people <laughs> on the internet, maybe. <laughs> Which, yeah, considering I think I spelled, I just felt like I was writing about the Nord, the original Nord, every day for about three months in the lead up to its actual launch. And and the same with the 8T. You know, they, yeah. they love to drip feed info. So it was such a big change for them to oh. just say, bam, here are the phones. Yeah. I, I guess um, it's, I guess as similar as as they might be, I guess Oxygen OS is the big thing that will lead people to be like, oh, I, I love OnePlus, totally. but I want a budget phone. And I guess and, if if you compare it to like, say Samsung, who releases a huge amount of phones each year, it feels like now for the first time they maybe got a phone at each different price point at each different level in the market. Well, kind of. The funny thing is they've got two at the same price point. Because mm. the Nord N10 is only £50 cheaper than the Nord. Right, yeah. Which is one of my complaints about the N10. We'll get into that a bit. But I think it's sitting a little bit too close to the original Nord. And, and I can't see... I don't feel like the N10 has a place in the market. Um, but yeah, they're clearly trying to go... This is their first sort of sub-£200 one. And the, the N100 mm. is going to be £179? Yeah, £179, I think. Pounds, 199 euros. Yeah. Um, the 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 weird thing, I guess, also is that when the initial Nord launch in Europe and India, people were like, "Where's the Nord for the US?" Because it just it never came. It's still not available yep. in the US. Um, it was you know assumed and based on quotes from you know Carl Pei, who's now left the company, but he was saying at the time we are having a phone from the Nord series launching in the US this year. Yeah, um, they'd confirmed that. Yeah, they have said these we're not sure whether it's both or just one of them is coming to the us this year but considering what they launched and they told us you know pricing and availability yep. for europe they actually made no kind of concrete mention of what the us rollout is going to be like we know they're going to come out this year but we still don't know how much they're going to cost i think rough you know um if you adapt the uk price it's like 250 235 dollars there you go for the northern mm -hmm. 100 um but we don't actually know what the official pricing is going to end up like at all or when they're actually going to go on sale which i still think is quite strange i don't know if there's like some yeah customs issues or something i don't know what the holdup is for the u.s market it definitely feels like something's gone wrong because the obvious sales pitch for these is nord but for the u.s <laughs> uh, and 
it's very, very odd to have them to confirm they are coming to the US but not be ready to talk about that yet, not even talk price point. Um, the, the N10 and, 5G makes a lot more sense in the US than it does anywhere yes. else. And that's what I was going to say, because yeah. the N10 5G makes no sense in the UK where you have the Nord, but the N10 5G makes loads of sense in the US where you don't have the Nord. Because if you look at the N10 5G versus the regular Nord, it's a £50 price difference. So, you know, roughly the same as a $50 price difference. You don't get a glass back. You just have a plastic back. You drop from AMOLED to LCD, um, though it's still 90 hertz. You drop from Gorilla Glass 5 to Gorilla Glass 3 on the back. You drop from a 7-series processor to to a 6-series processor. Uh, You still get similar sort of RAM and storage stuff. And there is the advantage there's a micro SD slot, which is, again, a sign that this isn't really a OnePlus phone. Um... You get a different camera setup, but I'm not confident it'll be a better camera setup. It's got a 64 megapixel main lens, but I think that sensor is going to be worse. I don't know. I don't know if you've got the full specs and what it is. Um, you've only got a single selfie camera versus two on the Nord, and that single one is 16 megapixel rather than 32 megapixel. That means you don't get 4K video on the front, um, and you've got you've got a similar battery size and same charging. So uh, there's some bits are the same, but for me, the drop from LCD sorry, they drop from AMOLED to LCD, the loss of the glass um, back of the phone and the processor drop, do not, you know, for £50, like, you're absolutely better off with a regular Nord. Oh, yeah. They should have dropped the 5G in every market other than the US and made it £100 cheaper, $100 cheaper, whatever, sorry, €100 cheaper. And that would have made a lot more sense, I think. And and, and honestly, that's what I thought it was. I'd missed the fact that it was the N10 5G, and I thought, ah, this is the Nord for people who don't care about 5G. You want broadly similar specs, a little bit lower, but you don't care about 5G. That kind of makes sense. And then I realized, oh, wait, no, this one is 5G. It's a worse chipset, so they can still, like, the slowest chip you can get 5G on. It doesn't make any sense outside the US. I can't imagine recommending anyone buy this. And it might be a perfectly good phone. It's just, again, the Nord is there. If, if the Nord didn't exist, I would be looking at the N10 and probably saying, yeah, that's pretty solid value for money. I just, in a world where you're looking to pay between three and four hundred pounds for your phone, why would you buy this one and not the other one? Yeah. Um, I am excited about the M100, assuming yes. that the user experience translates well to that lower end hardware, because you've never seen that. Even their last, their first mid-range attempt, the OnePlus X was actually running on old flagship hardware rather than true mid-range mm. or, or mm-hmm. budget hardware in terms of the processor and stuff. This is the yep. first time we'd actually be seeing Oxygen OS running on a lower um, spec device. If mm. they can keep that experience intact, that is so kind of intrinsic to the, the brand, um, I think they've done a great job and it's probably a better recommend than the A53, which is obviously the foundation on which it's based. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I've, I've actually... The A53 is on its way to my house. Um, I actually heard the doorbell go while we were on this call, so I feel like I may have just missed the delivery of the A53. Uh, so that's going to be a fun problem for me to deal with after we're done on the episode. But I, yeah, so I'm going to have the A53 soon to play around with, which you know, in my head is also figuring out what what the N100 is going to be like. But I think, yeah, the, the, and Iron said it right at the beginning. The, the selling point here is Oxygen OS, and um, that's going to be the thing. Is if if this is the same as the A53, fine. I would probably then recommend it over the A53 because I prefer Oxygen OS to Color OS. Um, and I think most other people would too. Uh, Color OS actually isn't bad now. I, I like it a lot, but Oxygen OS is, is the best. So 
if if you've got two friends with identical hardware but one of them has one plus's software that's an easy sort of recommend for me mm-hmm. what what are um how how are like um Oppo and Realme for software updates because I, I think I've spoken about this before but OnePlus is pretty good at getting the new version of Android if you have a longer wait then it's kind of a no-brainer to go over for OnePlus over the equivalent they're not bad but they're not as good as OnePlus mm. the funny thing is I would say part of the reason they're not as good as OnePlus is they have far more handsets out there that they have to support so the more phones OnePlus pushes out the more I begin to worry that they may start to lose that edge they've got as they have a bigger and bigger range of hardware that they have to support and try and roll those updates uh, out to. But yeah, again, OnePlus is better there. So um, I'm, I'm honestly genuinely very surprised the N10 5G is coming out in the UK because everything I've seen about it makes me think that makes sense for markets without the Nord and makes zero sense in markets that already have the Nord. But um, the N100, I like on paper. Yeah, I, I wish they'd squeezed fast charging in there as well warp charge 30t that would have really made it like i think stand out yeah there is 189 like a little bit more expensive it is worth saying like you are missing a lot of the things you might think of as one plus strengths with the uh with the n100 it's 60 hertz there's no 90 hertz refresh rate it's 18 watt charging rather than 30 watt um does have expandable storage though it does have expandable <laughs> storage. Uh, Snapdragon 460, so that is going to chug along a little bit. Um, and yeah, plastic back like the N100. Otherwise, it's a fairly standard budget phone, but I guess, again, that is the telling point. This, I look at that spec list, and that doesn't feel like a OnePlus phone to me. Mm. I wish it was smaller uh, too. It's huge, and that's, but that is quite characteristic for OnePlus, to be fair. But it's bigger than some of the others. It's, it's, it's bigger a bigger screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, you kind of look and think... I, I would have loved to see OnePlus design a £200 phone, yeah. and I bet they would have made a really good £200 phone, and I reckon I would have liked it more than I like this one. Um, it's very telling this is a phone that Oppo designed, because they have different priorities in the kind of features they put in. Which well, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's just different. Hmm. Well, I was wondering about the Nord line as a whole. Like, Is the standard Nord going to be the most expensive of the range, or where's the cutoff going to be? Are they all going to be in this affordable market? And then how much of a price difference might they have compared to like the standard OnePlus phones? I'm hoping... I... You go, Yeah, Toddy, you go. Um, so for now, yes, the Nord is the most expensive. I imagine it will stay that way hmm. because at the moment, it's a £170 difference between the Nord and the 8T, which actually isn't that huge a gap. Hmm. Um and considering that then the older flagships drop in price a bit and fill that in between space so you know the 8 will drop down a bit the 7T start to fill in that middle ground i don't think we'll see a nord in that goes above that line anytime too soon again if if oneplus really commits to you know becoming the kind of company that churns out 20 phones a year obviously that that will be different but if they're still trying to stay with a fairly tight product line, I think that kind of £400, $400 line is about as high as we'll see Nords go. But The only thing I was going to add was, uh, you know, they're, they're not, they are definitely like different companies in terms of how they operate with regards to OnePlus and Oppo. Uh, mm-hmm. Oppo's made, I think, a real mess, I'll say, of, of their kind of like the middle of their specific range with the Find X series and the Reno series, Reno 4 series overlapping as heavily as they do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope that the Nord line stays distinctly, you know, its own thing, stays in its lane, but only in the benefit of the con- like to the benefit of the consumer. Uh, otherwise, it just gets confusing. So yeah, yeah, that's that's all I was going to say. Yeah, I think you want a clear sort of naming system, and we we moan about this all the time with with companies that screwed this up. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Oppo is one that did for it. Looked like Reno with the flagships, then it looked like the Find X's with the flagships. Then they put the Find X2 name on the phones that covered the gamut from £400 to £1,200. So it doesn't mean flagship, it just means Find X2, but there's no unifying thing that makes it a Find X2. They've got very different feature sets. And, and what's more premium? Is an M51, a Galaxy M51, more premium than a Galaxy A21? Yeah, and on <laughs> the lines of like the, the A70 to A90s versus the S and Note Lite models yes. or, or F, FE fan editions now. Mm. But again, you hit the same space where you don't know, should you be getting the top end of their budget range or the bottom end of their flagship mm. range? And they kind of sit too close and it gets confusing. Mm. I hope OnePlus keeps the the distinction there. Yeah. Can I just yeah, say, okay. conversations like this make me so happy to be an iPhone user. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on now, Lewis. Now, now... I do believe they, they released iPad and then they released iPad and I wasn't sure which yeah. iPad I should buy. And then they released, they've also had the new iPad at some point as well. Yeah. That was, that yeah. was a great also, one. Yeah. Technically we, in our title of our review have added 2020 on the end of iPhone SE. Otherwise they're pretty sure Apple just calls it iPhone SE. Yeah. So it hold your horses. So yeah, we are, um, I don't know. I, I think if, I feel like the whole that certainly my I'm cautious about these new Nords. My big worry is that this represents a dilution of the OnePlus brand, that if they're going to start just putting out phones that they don't design themselves, that don't feel as OnePlusy, they'll lose that. The brand is the big thing they got going for them, other than Oxygen OS software, is that they have a genuine passionate fan base and things like that that not every tech company has. Mm-hmm. And um, if people feel like they're just churning out hardware and slapping the OnePlus logo on it. Um, and I know there's already been a lot of speculation that that's why Carl Pei left. Yeah. And we know nothing. You know, I, I have no idea if that's got anything to do with why he's left the company. But I've you know already seen a lot of people suggesting that maybe he wasn't happy with this direction and that's why he, you know, now is the time that he left. Um, you know, he obviously shepherded Nord, which was very much a designed phone. And so there's got to be concern that he was looking at what they were going to do after that and said, no, I'm, I'm not interested, but um, I, I can't wait to find out from, you know, <laughs> when, when the tell all eventually, like, you know, he comes out of his like, NDA period in 10 years time and can talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what these are like, but I'm, I'm a little cautious about what it means for OnePlus moving forward. I think that's mirrored in, in the comments as well. So Dennis was saying essentially the same thing that uh, basically with the loss of, of Carl, uh, that OnePlus has kind of lost its purpose. And he's actually saying that he's moving away from OnePlus with his next phone because he's just not really impressed with the direction that they're going with these multiple phone releases every year. And, you know, I get it. I'm sympathetic to that. I mean, I would say, you know, they're still, uh, the, the Nord was phenomenal and the the 8T um, I was also pretty impressed by. So they are still making great phones, but... There's just yeah, uh, something something one plusy doesn't feel like it's quite in the same space. Considering that these are kind of cookie cuttery, and Oppo ha- and OnePlus has pulled Oppo designs in the past, like with their older earlier phones. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Do you think it's anything to do with just the effects of COVID? And they, they just wanted to improve their, their revenue for the year and they thought too quick off the shelf hardware designs was a good way to make that happen? Maybe. Maybe this isn't a trend. Maybe this is a one-off. Just their, their manufacturing pipeline shot. And so by piggybacking on oppos, yeah. they can get phones out that Quicker they couldn't otherwise. develop market. Yeah. Right. Possible. Uh, again, that still leaves me a bit concerned because it's that kind of, it's a cheap return kind of thing that never felt like the OnePlus way. No. Um, so you've got to be careful how much you ascribe that kind of thought to the way corporations move. They'll do what makes them money. Mm-hmm. That's what they're there for. Um, but it, it's also telling because, you know, we look at these phones and they, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, cool, they've got interesting stuff. But then you compare it to the Nord that OnePlus designed itself and the Nord is just too good. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is the problem I have with the 8T. As I said, the 8T is great, but most of its best features are in the Nord too. Like the Nord is too good for that price. So it makes the 8T look overpriced when actually the 8T is very competitive for the market. Uh, and it makes the N10 5G look completely underspecced. But it's just because they went and, you know, in the way that only OnePlus seems to be able to do is go and say, cool, we're going to make a phone at £400. And they knocked it out of the park in a way that even Apple couldn't with the SE. Um, I mean, I, I will throw in this this curveball as well in the Realme X50 yeah. because it is a £300 Snapdragon 765G powered phone. Yeah. Uh, the main trade-off, I think, is the cameras aren't as good as the Nord and the screen is LCD over OLED, but it is 120Hz. Beyond that, they're actually really similar. Um, so yeah, if you wanted a cheaper Nord, I'd recommend that over the N10 5G, hands down. It's cheaper and more powerful. It is also, I, yeah, Realme is on a real streak at the moment. And um, if, if OnePlus is going to be ripping off either of them, I'd much rather they ripped off more Realme phones than Oppo phones. Because <laughs> again, looking at the, the N10 that's ripping off the A53 seemingly, like, why not the Realme 7? Yeah. Like, the Realme 7's yeah. right there. Seven it's got, so what, good. Like, that's... Crazy. Yeah. Like, steal those ones. <laughs> Come on, leave Oppo alone. They're, they're not doing well. Um, yeah, because actually Oppo's strength is its software. The color, color OS is also very good, mm-hmm. but that's the bit you're going to wipe over and stick oxygen over. So Realme is the one that's killing it on hardware at least, at least this year. Uh, anyway, that's enough being slightly, like... I think, yeah, with OnePlus, it's like that kind of, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed, like a slightly <laughs> frustrated parent, you know? Yeah. I'm just like, come on, I expected better of you, OnePlus. C plus in your school report, OnePlus. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. We haven't seen either phone yet. And when we do, hopefully we'll be able to have one of them on the show and talk about it uh, again. Uh, but let's move on to our final topic of today, which is Huawei. Not hardware, but just Huawei as a company, because the trade sanctions from the US, it looks like, they're beginning to loosen up. Um, the first real glimpse of this was that this week Samsung announced that it had been able to strike a deal to supply Huawei with displays, which in and of itself isn't a huge thing because Huawei was already... The displays, it had other companies it was getting displays from, so that wasn't one of the areas it was under total pressure. But suddenly people were like, wait, hang on, how come Samsung's you know managed to strike this deal? What's changed? Um, and then there was a report in the uh, the UK's Financial Times, uh, either today or I think yesterday, maybe, um, basically suggesting that there were several reports from inside the White House that the position is changing on Huawei mm. and that the line now and going forward is still that um, most applications for sort of uh, grants to work with Huawei will be denied. I think the, the line here from a source is... Um, Licenses to supply Huawei are handled with a view to denial. I, that's a starting point. 
They assume they're going to tell you no, and you've got to prove that you're not going to. Um, Guilty so they, until proven innocent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now, this can be overcome if you can demonstrate that your technology does not support 5G. Um, now, there's a crucial disclaimer I want to give there, because that's kind of weird phrasing. That does not mean it can't go into 5G phones. What it means is it can't be going into the tech that Huawei puts into 5G network infrastructure. Because obviously there's Huawei, the company that sells phones, and there's Huawei, the company that does all of the back-end stuff around networking. Mm-hmm. And you know that's the side where we've seen companies banning Huawei's tech and their network infrastructure. So when it says it can't support 5G, that's what it means, um, as best as we can tell. But it doesn't mean Huawei can make phones, but only 4G ones. It means consumer tech should be fine as long as you're not supplying components that Huawei will go and put into, like, you know, back-end network tech. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, you're saying that's not what that means, but in hypothetically, if Huawei <laughs> came back to market in 2021 with the hardware that it puts out now, just there's no 5G, that's, I would say, a better handicap than no Google services. Oh, by miles, and yeah. And so, like, do you think they would be good enough to recommend? Just looking at, like, this year's phones, obviously, like, the caveat is mm. we can never recommend them because they don't have Google. If it's just that they yeah. don't have 5G, I feel like it's it's going to be so much easier to recommend them again. I think I'd struggle to give a phone a flagship without 5G. Yeah. I'd struggle to give it the full five-star treatment sure. and be like, this uh-huh. is, you know, that is it still a fairly big emission. But equally, I, I'm still of the view, we, we talk about 5G and we kind of say we don't recommend 5G phones too strongly because the network's not there yet. You know, the infrastructure's not fully there. I honestly partly recommend it because I also think the average user will never see the benefit of 5G. Even no. once the infrastructure is there, no. the things most people do on their phone do not need those speeds and will see no benefit from those speeds. If you're just listening to music and checking your email and Instagram stories, like 4G does that instantly already, uh, as long as you're in a city at least. Uh, gaming is the main consumer use case, yeah. you know, cloud gaming. Mm. Um, so it will mean they would struggle to latch on to gamers, but I'd very happily recommend a non-5G flagship to a non-gamer and just say, yeah, you, you don't need 5G. Don't buy into the hype. Yeah, it's fascinating with the um, the US uh, coverage of the iPhone 12 series because they have that millimeter wave network with Verizon over there, which yeah. is already fairly, I mean, I don't want to say prevalent because it's not, um, <laughs> but the way it operates right now, you basically have to be in line of sight with a tower yeah, for it to be at all useful. Wow. Which is crazy. I mean, when you're there, the speeds are insane. Yeah. But, you know, um, and until that that is fixed, 5G as a as a concept isn't really going to be, I think, accepted by, by the masses because it doesn't offer enough over 4G. And this is something we've said since even the network started being, like, turned on. I think the thing for me is 5G is potentially revolutionary tech and it's super important, but it doesn't matter for phones. No. And that's the funny thing is that 4G is phone tech. Yeah. 4G, you know, changed the way phones operated. Mm-hmm. 5G will have such a minimal impact on the way we use phones other than cloud gaming. That's the only real use case. 5G matters for laptops. If you can have a laptop with a 5G SIM and the stuff you do on a yeah. laptop, you might need those speeds. 5G matters for, uh, you know, the Internet of Things and connected devices and smart cars and all those kind of in- cases where actually those speeds matter. But it's just... 5G isn't phone tech. Yeah. The analogy is it's not a faster motorway, it's a motorway with more lanes, which is mm. what I like. I think that makes sense in this context. Yeah. 
But anyway, that was a little detour. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Huawei is now able to make uh, some deals with some people. The, the, you know, the obvious big caveat here is the only one we've heard of concretely is Samsung and DisplayTech. There's no word yet that they've been able to make deals with chip manufacturers. Certainly nothing about Google. But it feels like this opens the door to it. Yeah. Because if the argument is just it shouldn't impact network in- infrastructure, then sure, the, the, they just need to be provided with chipsets that are n- incompatible with networking, with, you know, with modems and stuff, just that are designed for smartphones. Uh, and then also Google. It's hard to see how the Google software support should fail to meet that line, right? Um, and I, I'm honestly kind of fascinated that Google's has never managed to get its grant because obviously Microsoft did for the laptops. Yeah. And of all the companies that you'd think would have the lobbying power to uh, overcome <laughs> that, oh. Google feels like a safe one. Yeah. But... Do you think they wanted to hold off? Like they didn't want to like, they, they kind of kicked their heels a bit because they were bringing out phones like the Pixel 5, which is their first big play into 5G in the consumer space? Oh, you think maybe Google doesn't mind not having Huawei for they competition? Pull, but yeah, just a little bit so that, that Huawei can, you know, they can work with Huawei again, but the Huawei's on the back foot. And to be fair, there's a, if you want to get all conspiratorial about it, um, <laughs> it is good PR for Google that we've all spent a year saying, don't buy Huawei phones, they don't have Google, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. Without Google, who would use a phone? <laughs> yeah. Uh, suddenly everyone's like oh man Google really matters and we've all been taking all our time and our coverage to explain how much Google does on your phone beyond the Gmail app and how everything you do is actually powered by Google and it's essential to the infrastructure of your device and as soon as you take it out it's basically a piece of trash and you should throw it away Uh, you know that's not bad for Google actually from a certain perspective I could see it yeah I don't think it's like it's not conspiracy theorists because this is only just like, this is like a crack of light on what could be <laughs> an uptick for Huawei. It's it's one step maybe in the right direction. So I think it's fine to yeah. to speculate about what could be or maybe why. Yes. I mean, this is a wild speculation. Again, other than the Samsung deal and this FT report, you know, we don't know if this will meaningfully change anything because it could be that all the companies that matter for giving them, for, you know, like Qualcomm, like MediaTek, like Google, it could be that still none of them get given grants for various complicated reasons that we'll never know about. And so it's a moot point. Great, they can buy phone like displays from Samsung. If they can't have processors and they can't put software on, then it doesn't matter. So but it, it does open the door and it suddenly means we're now thinking, oh, maybe by the end of the year, that could begin to change. And again, we've mentioned it before, but you know, it's election season and depending on which way that all goes, if, mm-hmm. if it's a Biden White yeah. House next year, people would, Huawei would surely feel a lot more optimistic with a Biden White House. Oh yeah. But it's also worth noting, you know, at the same time as, you know, Samsung's now allowed to supply them with displays, for example, mm-hmm. right now, almost to the same day as we record this, there was also a story about the fact that, you know, Huawei's misfortune has actually boosted Samsung's yes. profits directly. They've had a better <laughs> quarter, a third quarter this year than they, than they did last year, mm. which is crazy considering this is the year when everyone's in lockdown and people aren't really you, like almost every other phone company is slumping. Yeah, wow. so, yeah, yeah, uh, surprising. Yeah, it, it's obviously going to be bittersweet for a lot of companies if Huawei is able to wade back into the market, and it will be super interesting, especially I think for the other Chinese brands that have used the gap to move into Europe. We talked about Vivo having just launched and they're just trying to get that off the ground. 
Um, and obviously Oppo and Xiaomi have both muscled in in a big way since Huawei kind of had to bow out. Um, what happens when Huawei comes back in? Um, and also just what happens to Huawei kind of overcome the other dents to its brand recognition. Sure, once mm-hmm. it gets Google again, maybe we give go back to giving the phones five-star reviews, but people still think their Huawei phone is going to spy on them. Um, and can you overcome that in terms of the way people perceive the brand? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So when, when I talk to friends, and think they're like, I, I, as a matter of principle, they won't buy a Huawei phone anymore, even if it has Google, even if it has everything they want. It's something that is almost been, they're almost not willing to reconsider Huawei phones, mm-hmm. even if they would be available again. So it's, I think it'll depend, depend on the market. And I think, like say if the Mate 40 series had um, Google services, I think it would be, so easy to recommend because of the hardware is so great. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, it feels like it, w- it will be interesting because like you say, there's so much more competition from other Chinese brands and um, Huawei's not necessarily got that strong reputation as being this great yeah. flagship company who's going to give you everything you want and you can, you know, your data is necessarily safe for them. It's an interesting one, especially given the light of there was the report a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember if we've ever spoken about it on the show or not, but there was a report that they were looking at selling Honor. Um, Mm -hmm. The idea being that if the Honor brand was sold to, I don't know, Xiaomi or Vivo or whoever, then it could live on with Google support. And, you know, the brand would still be worth a lot. And then someone else could go and keep making Honor devices with the Honor name and and, and integrate Google with it. But of course, if Huawei is going to be able to get Google back, it might want to cling on to Honor because Honor doesn't have the the poison brand that Huawei does. You know, people outside of tech circles don't know Honor is Huawei. So then, if they're able to put out five G, sorry, five G, Google powered Honor devices, they can still put out great phones with an Honor logo on that the average consumer will be none the wiser is really a Huawei that's you know still spying on them for the Chinese. <laughs> uh, and I've got to say, it's such a it, I, I, I don't want to give them the credit for it because I think it's just blind luck that none of Oppo, Xiaomi, or Vivo, or OnePlus, or anyone else has really been tarred with the same, it's Chinese tech, don't trust it. I was waiting yeah. for brush. that. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I was, Yeah. I was, I was absolutely waiting. Once it started with Huawei, I was thinking this is going to roll out and all of them are going to be hit by the same thing. Um, if not in the trade bans, then at least in the reputational damage. And it's just not happened. It's specifically Huawei. The people seem to be under the impression that Huawei has specific governmental ties that the others don't. And the thing about the way companies are structured in China is they, they, all those big com- like corporations <laughs> have the same kind of governmental connections that Huawei does. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about a Huawei device spying on you, you should be just as worried about an Oppo or a Vivo or a Xiaomi. There you go. You, you um, which just is to say, now. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sorry, all. Uh, and, you know, for what it's worth, my perspective is you shouldn't worry because they're only spying on you to the same extent that Facebook and Google are for the US. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm paranoid about all of them at once, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, at least with Google, you can literally see exactly everything they have on you. You can see the location tracking they've done, the voice recordings yeah. they've taken. It's all there for you to just kind of like stare Being at. And scared stare. about, yeah. They, yeah, they're, they're surprisingly more open that they're spying on you. <laughs> yeah. And we all go, well, that's fine then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, okay. Uh, I think that, that that's us for this week. So uh, thank you for everyone who's stuck through this, this slightly disjointed ramble. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, who knows what with? Maybe able to talk Xboxes because Ooh. we are getting dangerously close to the launch of the Xbox Series S and X. So we might be able to talk about that next week. Um, and other than that, I don't know. Phone-wise, we'll see. With a bit of luck, someone has an N10 by that point, and we could talk about that. But uh, I don't know. If anyone else wants to surprise drop some November phones, please don't. <laughs> um, I'd Stop. rather have nothing to talk Stop, about on the show please. than all the extra work. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, well, thank you, everyone, for, uh, for watching, and thank you to you guys for, for joining. And we'll be back next week. Yeah. Bye. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.